Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, Thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio, and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it okay to date? I believe it is. But she's not comfortable with being around people who know my divorce is not final. Can you help? He kind of answered it when he said, if she's not comfortable, it's not a good gig. And Pat, you have some questions about dating? I am. There was a caller that just got chopped off. Hey, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. And it is a wonderful experience to be your host. The oldest podcast about sex addiction and partner betrayal on the internet and um, you know it's just it's amazing amazing that we've come so far in such a long amount of time I I was looking and we've got close to a million listens I think we're 200 shy of a million listens uh, since 2007 and so, again, I am so happy to be with you. It, it brings me much gratitude. And you know that one of the three factors of ongoing happiness is when you look at what's working and, and you feel like there is a lot to be grateful for. Now, I know if you're an addict or a partner or you're trying to understand somebody that you love that has a sex addiction, It doesn't feel like there's a lot to be grateful for. It doesn't seem like things are working to your benefit. But I promise you, they really, really are. How do I know? Well, 
Because no matter what disaster has occurred in your life, no matter how big the tsunami or the earthquake, there are still things to be grateful for. There are still things that we can appreciate that have nothing to do with him or her, that have nothing to do with one's own addiction. You know, it may be that your ears are working and you can hear music. It may be that your eyes are working and you're noticing how beautiful it is outside. Walking on a sandy beach, it doesn't get much better. So I want you to do that. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about self-esteem, sensuality, and how, how to focus on what is going on for your body as opposed to being triggered, if you will, by lack of confidence and, you know, the comparison theory. Oh, my gosh. You know, comparisons will kill you. I promise you it will kill you. Because if you start comparing yourself to other people, other things, other jobs, I mean, it just doesn't work. So the most important thing to do is to really stay in the moment and be grateful for what's going on in your life. And and if you're not exactly perfect, you know what? It doesn't matter. There are plenty of fabulous, beautiful aspects about you, male, female, sex addict, partner, it matters not. Well, the truth is that, you know, I've got an expert coming on today, and she is really helping partners with their own sense of sexual and sensual self. You know, What we know is that sex addiction is an illness that the addict uses to self-medicate and to cope with overwhelming emotions. But to a partner, it feels like they'll never be good enough. They'll never be able to compare. They'll never be able to do those activities that you may have participated in or watched, whether it was voyeuring through pornography or you know, on a stage. And so what happens? The partner disconnects. And that fear, just in the same way as a movie plays in one's head, hey, that fear is ever-present in a partner wondering, is she good enough? And if not, what does she need to do? And if she doesn't, will that be a comparison to where he's been? And vice versa. You know, we are getting more and more and more sex addicts that are women, which means there are more and more and more partners that are male. Or in the case of, you know, homosexuality, bisexuality, it's that same dynamic. And there is no doubt that it plays habit on the mind of a partner. So, Rebecca Rosenblatt, is, she is here today to help you get your groove back and reclaim your sensuality 
versus the addiction and the power of the addiction that defined it, right? She's a certified sex addiction therapist just like me, and she's sensitive to the struggles of a partner. She's also a clinical sexologist, so she's aware of sexual challenges, including how one feels about oneself. She's going to be combining those two aspects of the training so that she can give you the biggest bang for your buck here on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Can't wait to have her on. She should be with us momentarily. But in the meantime, let me share a little bit about me. I mean, you all pretty much know a lot about me. Did you know I'm leaning into retirement? That I'm 65 and I am weaning myself into different ventures. And so I am truly um, not taking clients anymore, seeing the ones that I have, working on incredible projects. One of them I'm so proud of. It is the Early Couples Recovery Empathy Model. We're going to create what well, we are, we have, excuse me, we are going to. I've spent uh, thousands of hours on this project. We are presenting a certification through APSATS. If I have clinicians or coaches anywhere in the world that want to work with couples, I encourage you to come on and, and let me know. Send me a carol at carolthecoach.com email. Let me know that you're interested. We're getting it put on the website this week. And this is the coolest thing. For my addicts and partners out there, coaches and clinicians don't necessarily know how to work with couples. And, you know, this has been my gig for a long time. And one of the beautiful things about leaning into recovery is that if I do less of what I've always done, I'm going to get more of what I want, which is to leave a legacy for you all so that you can carry on the help her heal model in conjunction with early recovery couples work and hence, we call it IRCA, the Early Couples Recovery Empathy Model to help couples to heal. If you are just out of discovery, you should not be in couples therapy. That's way too much of a deep dive. There's not been any trust restored. But we can get you there with relational skills that you work on together as a couple. You all know that I've always told my addicts, you have to help her heal, right? Well, it's based on that premise too. You caused it and I want you to help your partner heal. And you know what? My experiences, addicts do. Unless they're really wounded and are suffering from a personality disorder, they really do want to help heal. That being said, I want you to know that it's really important to go to somebody who specializes in this. And so what that means is that, wow, you've got to find somebody who knows what they're doing. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about 
Rebecca Rosenblatt is that she knows what she's doing. You know I only interview experts for this show. So I can't wait to have her on. And if you want to see some of her work, you can go to YouTube and it's under TalkWithRebecca.com, YouTube.com forward slash C, little C, forward slash Rebecca TV. And I mean, this is for any of us. She's going to be talking about how do you heal after wounding and how do you stop comparing yourself and how do you own your own natural sensuality when it's being so shattered and fractured. But the truth of the matter is, we could have her talk to anybody right now, and they would appreciate how difficult it is in this overly sexualized society to feel good about our own bodies, men and women, to feel like we know how to connect. And so, uh, with much excitement, I just really want to welcome Rebecca Rosenblatt to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm such a big fan of yours, so it's quite humbling to be able to chat with you today. Well, I feel the same way, and this is such an important subject because the truth of the matter is we're not talking about sex today, but we are talking about sensuality and sexuality, and, you know, so many clinicians across the board, just in general, they don't really want to talk about sex, and they they don't feel comfortable. And I love that you're broaching this topic because it's really going to help men and women figure out ways that they've been impacted and also how they can res- restore their own self-respect. So tell me a little bit about you and what made you go into this field? Well, I was doing couples work and I realized that no matter what I was looking at, sexuality, intimacy was such an important part of it. So I said I have to be proficient in in sex therapy. And then I eventually went off to become a CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, and I realized how interwoven uh, sexuality is with our psyche, with our wounds, particularly intimate wounds, and how difficult it is as is to feel sensual, like you said, and particularly after any kind of betrayal trauma it's even harder still. So I thought it was very, very important to be able to focus on that because, like you said, not too many people talk about it. Uh, In fact, I'd read somewhere that two-thirds of the physicians will never mention sexuality, even as they talk about other below-the-belt issues um, during their physical exam. So I'm so glad that you're doing this. Well, you know, I have worked with wounding for so long, and the truth of the matter is that Women immediately feel rejected when partner betrayal occurs, and in that rejection, they begin to doubt every part of themselves, including their own sense of sexuality and sensuality. So I'm going to ask you, what are some ways that a sex addict's partner is impacted with respect to what I just referenced, their own sense of self and their own sense of sensuality? 
Uh, you are so right. The sense of self, their place in their, uh, in their spouse or partner's world, it's just devastating. But when it comes to uh, sex addiction, there's that whole layer of not feeling attractive. They think that if only I looked a certain way, uh, my partner might not cheat on me. And sometimes partners will, in fact, say, you know, you let yourself go, even though that has nothing to do with it. But partner doesn't have to say anything at all. The cheated part, the pawn party, always feels that, almost always feels that if I was only attractive enough. And I remind them, I say, look at all the so-called gorgeous women in Hollywood They've been cheated upon, so it has nothing to do with looks. Um, the other thing I noticed is that this whole piece about comparing the self to others, in general comparing the self to others, but particularly the parties that the addict has cheated with. And the sad thing is that even when the partner doesn't know who they cheated with, they just assume that the other party is more attractive, with in fact that's rarely the case. And even when it is, the betrayal isn't about that. So I always tell people, let no one tell you that. And then, you know, there's the whole thing about defining the self through the addict's eyes. Um, sometimes an addict can actually give a partner insecurities. And in that case, I point out that, you know, you're not believing anything else that the person who cheated on you said. So why are you believing them when they're saying things that put you down in your sensuality your attractiveness, your sexuality. Um, the other thing that's critical is many times the partners is just kind of lose themselves in trying to and winning them back. And they'll go to extremes to win their partner back. They'll change their look. They might agree to certain sexual acts that are not part of their sexual repertoire or don't even make them feel sensual. It may make them feel uncomfortable, but they'll force themselves into having sex anyways because they worry the addict will go elsewhere or the cheating partner will go looking for it elsewhere. And then there's, Carol, the piece about feeling hypo or hypersexual. Some people, the sexuality goes up. For some, they don't even feel like it, but it's difficult for them to understand, although both are perfectly normal. And uh, finally, I want to mention that a lot of times the cheated-upon party starts to feel really ashamed of their own sensuality, because there's this negative connotation and they feel ashamed when they're feeling sensual or sexual, particularly if their arousal has gone up. So I make sure that I remind them that their sensuality is their very own, not to give the power away. So those are some of the things that uh, I see and I'm sure you see yourself, uh, Carol, where the parties are impacted in so many ways, particularly at the heart of their sensuality and sexuality. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so when you're sitting with a partner, what's, what's the first thing you do? What's the first step towards reclaiming one's sexuality? What do you tell her? First and foremost, I say you have to give yourself the time to heal, particularly the parts that have become disconnected from your sexuality. Um, and often they do become disconnected from their sexuality. So the first and foremost, you have to heal yourself and the parts that are disconnected as opposed to focusing on 
what's going on with the addict. I mean, it does make us feel safer if we know is the addict doing their work, et cetera, but it doesn't heal our pain. So first and foremost, we have to heal our pain and reclaim all parts of ourselves, including sexuality. But, you know, that, of course, requires specific work. And then also say, put the self back in the driver's seat versus looking to others to define you, how sensual you are, how sexual you are. Don't let others tell you what to do or how to feel about yourself. Um, and again, if you're working with someone who can help you with that, it makes it a little bit easier. But I know many women, they just, they make it their, you know, th- this project that I am going to get my sexuality back. I feel terrible about everything that's happened, but the things that bugs me the most is that I just stop feeling sexual altogether. Even outside of the relationship, the sensuality that we carry, not necessarily sexuality, that's, I'm just not feeling it. It's important to reclaim those parts, first and foremost. Well, yeah, and so you're saying, you know, when somebody has been through discovery and when their brain begins to go back online, they need to give themselves plenty of time to heal, especially those automatically or naturally disconnected because of rejection and because of comparison and because she or he didn't feel like they were good enough for the addict. And then you want partners to put themselves back in the driver's seat, right? You want them to create their own sense of what they appreciate about their own body, their own sensuality, their own kindness and compassion, and all the things that they hopefully felt somewhat confident about before discovery. Exactly. That's so important because when the disconnect happens, sexuality is one of the first places when we're looking at any kind of intimate betrayal. And I'm glad that the way you put, you know, when the brain goes back online, because that's until then, you know, the intellectual part, the caveman part might not even be talking to each other. But once you're bringing that back, it's so important to get in charge of our own sensuality. I sort of look at it as, um, you know, no one's responsible for our happiness, but people can certainly make us unhappy. So don't make anyone else responsible for your sensuality, particularly if they've made you doubt your sensuality and feel bad about yourself. A lot of times it opens up old trauma, maybe as kids where someone was made fun of or emotionally neglected, um, that if we start to neglect ourselves, all that reopens up to. So we have to first start having that self-compassion, connecting with the self, the parts of the self that have become disconnected. And uh, sensuality is right there at the heart of all of it because that's the that's where the subconscious of how we feel about ourselves often begins. Okay, so then you know that... I always say to sex addicts, your biggest sex organ is your brain. And it's uh-huh. somewhat the same partners. I say your biggest sex organ is what you think of yourself and how you feel about yourself. So how do we help partners kind of get rid of that mental static and, and those negative narratives uh, that keep looping after discovery? Uh, so well put because – we do have that mental static. A lot of it 
it starts when we're kids, how we feel about ourselves, and that's what the negative narratives come from. So uh, I have all uh, I have uh, developed specifically an online course where I do a lot of exercises that people can do. So there's everything from you know I have sometimes people write down all the the negative statements that keep popping up in their heads. So the first thing I suggest is that even if you change the I statements. Um, or you when we're talking to ourselves in third person to our name. So, you know, it's so easy for me to say, uh, you're such an idiot if I make a mistake. But if I say Rebecca is such an idiot, it's a lot harder to say. Um, it, it's significantly harder. So there is data that says that if we, when we're doing that negative talk, if we put a name instead of the pronoun, sometimes it's harder. And then I'll have them make a list of all the negative thoughts that come to their mind and try to identify where did this get started? Was it something I heard at school from one of my parents? How did I start to feel this? And then go ahead and challenge it. Find something in your current reality that challenges that thought. Look at, your, look, at, look at the positive in your life. Look at what you feel at your core. Challenge it and then have a new narrative in its place. So that's one of the exercises we do. And then there's other stuff where I have people set maybe on their smartphone and alarms to go off every time they think that we'll have a couple of minutes to themselves where they think about the places where they're not kind to themselves and they try to challenge that thought with something positive in the present that they can take pride in. And I have lots and lots of exercises that I have in this particular course. I developed it specifically. I used to do it in person, but it's harder to reach, especially with COVID. So a lot of exercises that we can do, but basically some of the ones that I love, and I also have a free thing, like you mentioned on YouTube, it's about half hour, where some of those exercises are listed. So one is accepting all parts of yourself. So I have people draw an outline of their body, so body mapping, where, um, you know, front and back, where they color the areas in red that they have negative self-dialogue about uh, or that have experienced trauma and shut down. Green for parts that they have a good relationship with, and amber for parts that they don't have, um, they don't know it's neither good nor bad. And then what I say is go to the red parts and say, why do I have this negative relationship? And uh, challenge that. Come up with ways of accepting those parts. And as they accept them, use gold or green glitter to cover up the red parts. And, you know, you can give gratitude for your body. You can love and reclaim all the parts because they they function okay. Um, I, I have this horrendous scar um, from a major surgery that goes right across my belly. I used to hate my belly because of it. But you know what? If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be alive today. Um, I raised my stretch marks because you know what? They helped me bring kids into this world. So going through all those parts, and some of them are harder, and you might need psychological trauma as opposed to something physical. And then I have people write a letter of apology to the parts they've been mean to, write thank you cards to the body parts for functioning the way they're supposed to be, um, treating the self the way we would like to be treated by others. So whether it means you know, planning a date for ourselves, fresh flowers, soak in the bath, say good things to your body that you want to hear. Don't be for someone else. And then I also have people do something where I call it uh, cleaning out the closet. So we all have so much stuff in there that doesn't make us feel good. It's just sitting there. So I say put everything on the, on the bed. Try those things one item at a time as if you're in a store 
And if you feel really good about it that you'd be willing to buy it, you hang it back in the closet. But if it's something you wouldn't be willing to buy and you don't feel good in, you need to pass that on to someone else who can enjoy that that outfit. Uh, but just clean out what doesn't belong in your head, what doesn't belong uh, in your closet. Do the changes you need to make, like if you feel better when you go for a walk, whatever you need to do. But ultimately, it's about connecting with your sensuality. Uh, lots of times, women, they'll do mindful dancing that's, that's focused on that, or just take up a dance class, or, you know, take a, a, a pole dancing for fitness type class, but if it's too triggering for a partner, then of course you don't want to do anything that's triggering, but something that allows you to connect with your body when you've become disconnected. So whether it's exercise or dance or something else, but the idea is to connect with the body, physically connect, emotionally connect. Well, that makes total sense. And yes, I'm sure for a lot of partners, pole dancing would be tough. And at the same time, you know, that person may benefit from from a modern dance class or a ballet class or a yoga class, something where they really get in touch with that body, mind, and and begin to look at their body differently. Um, I love that you say to give gratitude for your body. And what I heard you talking about was this horrendous scar you have also provided life. And so when you weigh how you feel about it, with what it's done for you, I mean, you wouldn't be here talking to us today if you didn't have that scar. Uh-huh. And that's, that's just it, being able to give thanks. And you're right, those particular classes you mentioned also mindfulness dancing for recovery. And, and it's true. Um, the pole dancing may be very triggering, uh, I I took one when I was feeling very disconnected with my sensuality, but it was for fitness. And all the ladies around me, they were, you know, different body types, different age groups. They came from different places of wounding in their sensuality. And just being able to have fun together, encourage each other, we were able to get past that, which was threatening, but not for everybody, but definitely mindful dancing or yoga dancing or any kind some of the Eastern classical dancing. They, they just help us feel our body. And we're in charge. That's the nice thing. Well, yeah, I absolutely believe that to be true, too. And truth of the matter is I do have a partner who had started pole dancing before Discovery, and she continues to pole dance now. She is a beautiful strong, big, black, American, African woman, and she exudes sensuality, and she says, you know what, this isn't about him, this is about me, and really feeling my own sensuality, and that's really what you're going for, right? You want women to take back and reclaim that part of themselves. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't have said it better, and I'm so glad that you have the privilege of having this person in your life because it is about us. No one else should determine it. Um, one of my closest friends, she's a burlesque dancer, and she is she won't let anyone tell her whether or not her body belongs on stage. She'll show them that it belongs on stage, and they are privileged to watch her dance in a, such a graceful 
beautiful, beautiful way, and she challenges all these ideas people have about uh, what media puts forth that are not even accurate um, standards of what's considered beautiful. And it's just lovely to watch how connected she's with her sensuality. It's not a body type. It's not uh, a certain type of movement. It's just watching her connect with her sensuality and being authentic and not worrying about what anybody has to say. Well, absolutely. And so I, I have to say she brings me in videos of her competitions and, and the fact that, and, and this woman is a doctor on top of it. And so she brings me in these videos and she says, you know, I said she was big because she is. And she says, I'm telling you, big women sometimes tend to be stronger. And this has proven to me how strong I am. And, you know, what we know is if you feel something um, emotionally or mentally, you'll project that. And that's what she does. She's an amazing woman. Now, I'm going to ask you, what do you do? What are the suggestions you give partner? who, you know, loves her husband or his wife, whatever, and wants to get back with them, really wants to reconnect with them sexually, but they're not quite sure of his or her recovery. What do you suggest? So I think that that's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned recovery because that's a very critical point. You want to make sure that they are in recovery. Otherwise, they can draw you into their own addiction and you might feel objectified and such. You want to know that they're in recovery uh, so that if they say, I love your body, you're not feeling objectified. You are saying that they're truly enjoying it. Um, Having said that, it's also very important to set some healthy boundaries, at least initially, so you feel safe enough to move at your own pace and you're not being pushed into anything. Um, I always say focus on the self again versus the person in recovery, the addict in recovery. And this is when you can uh, take that that compliment versus um, feeling, you know, afraid of it. I've had people where actually the addict in recovery is beautiful. She gets upset because she feels objectified. If I don't tell her, she feels that I don't find her attractive. And way back in her head somewhere, she thinks that that was the reason for the addiction, even though it was not. So have those conversations where you're able to, you know, understand where is your partner coming from, and if something bothers you, you're able to say it. But, you know, um, it, it's great that you find me beautiful, but I'm not quite ready for you to just talk about the specifics of my body because it just takes me to a place where I'm feeling objectified. And then let them know as, as you are uh, feeling better and both of you going deeper into individual and couple journey. Um, always treat yourself as equal to the addict, so not above or beneath them. That's part of recovery in general. Um, and I, I tell people, do not pressure yourself into having sex to keep them from going elsewhere. So when you're trying to reconnect, make sure that you're doing it when you feel like it. It's something you yearn for. Um, otherwise, you're just going to feel resentful and sometimes women say, I felt so cheap, I pushed myself, and I felt physically ill afterwards. Don't want that to happen to anybody, least of all a partner who's already lost a sense of agency in their life and their sense of worth. Um, 
So just knowing, you know, the three C's, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, you can't cure it. So don't make the addiction about your body. Um, but make your body feel safe when you are uh, when you are connecting as the addiction recovery work takes place for both parties as well as the coupleship. Um, I also tell partners, do not pressure yourself ever into doing what the addict is uh, demanding. Uh, there's some, why sometimes women will say that, and even men, that they lose their sense of self-respect. Don't ever try to replicate what the addict did with others. Sometimes uh, early on, the addict may say, well, that person did such and such, and you will not. Don't do that because for most people, the movie is going to play in your head, and you're wondering, am I as good as? Was the other party better than? Did they, were they better at doing this? Did they look better? And it just takes you right out of your body at that point. And it, um, and if you verbalize it, it might take the person in recovery into euphoric recall. So don't let that movie play in your head. You don't have to replicate what they did. Um, have healthy boundaries to protect yourself, not to punish the addict. That should always be clear. And respect the addict's challenges. So there is sexual shame there. There is a sexual anorexia in some cases. Lots of uh, men in particular, they run into physical challenges like erectile issues. As soon as they worry, you know, that performance anxiety, what is my partner thinking? Uh, I've caused them pain. Where are they at? Can I get it up? Can I maintain it? Am I able to experience a good uh, intimate session with them? As soon as they think that, they are going to physiologically be very difficult for them to retain their erection. And the partner immediately says, oh my gosh, I'm not doing it for them. And that's where their mind goes. But to know that the addict in recovery will have their own challenges due to shame, possibility of sexual anorexia. Men will have the physiological challenges. So don't, don't think it has anything to do with you. Uh, start slow, begin afresh. This is where sensei focus comes in, which is, in a nutshell, it's uh, three stages. First stage, each stage lasts a couple of weeks. Ideally, every night you set aside 20 minutes to half an hour, but every other night if you can't. First two weeks, you're just doing either non-sexual touching or touching each other over the clothes, fully clothed. Um, you know how as, as teens when we're making out, fully clothed. And you just take time for that. Maybe you don't even have anything sexual, just non-sexual touching. The next two weeks, clothes come off, the genitals are off limits. So you just learn each other's bodies. You show each other what you like. And then the final two weeks, the third, third stage is now... The genitals can be touched, but penetration is still off limits. So here you try to do for each other what you learned. Very critical in this stage uh, to alternate days. You don't want to be, I did this for you, now you have to do this for me. So whatever you learned, you do that. And after this, whatever happens, penetration is back on the table, but it's not today, six weeks, we have to do this because that causes anxiety and you're back at you know, performance anxiety and what it can do. So sensate focus is a beautiful way of doing that. Have safe words. Red means I need to stop. Amber means, okay, I'm getting close to my limit. Green means it's okay. Let's keep going. Um, and allow the bed to be a sacred place. So no heavy discussions, criticisms, and negative feedback. That's your kitchen table talk uh, so you don't have negative associations. So those are some of the ways to get back into the groove with your partner. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to remind everybody that I am talking to Rebecca Rosenblatt. She is a clinical sexologist 
She's also a certified sex addiction therapist, and she has a very special offer for our listening audience today. She actually has the um, online program that she was talking about, Will I Ever Be Enough? It's normally $279, but she's bringing it down to $79 this month in June. And if you use Carol the Coach as the discount code, all in capital letters and all put together, you'll get an additional $30. So this $279 course is only $49. It's just for us. So if you're a partner, oh, I wish I felt this way. Do not cheat yourself for less than a third or a half of an individual session. You can get this course. And I'm assuming, Rebecca, that once they have access to this course, they can look at it over and over and over again. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the exercises are there. I mean, we test the tip of the iceberg. The exercises are there. Video clips are there. And they also get a downloadable uh, booklet, a workbook. And it's, it's 49 Canadian, which means it's about 40 American. I know it's a lot of your audiences is American, so it's even less for Americans. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. it has everything. So you can, you can download it and you can watch it again and again. And you have your workbook and you can download the workbook a second time around. I, I always suggest when you're doing your work, go revisit those exercises a few months down the road and see how far you've come so you can feel confident. Oh, this is wonderful. I guarantee you I am going to get this. You know, I was just telling my listening audience before you came on, and I am starting a certification program for clinicians and coaches that want to, through the use of empathy and early recovery couples work, that they um, help couples to heal. And one part of it is intimacy. So I'm going to take a look at this course, and, and I may need to ask your permission to make some references and, um, and citations to it because this is, sounds super exciting. You have more than my permission. I'd be honored because like you, I just, want us, I just want the world to know that we can be whole. We can feel whole and we can get back in the driver's seat and, and we can heal our own traumas that we have. A lot of them express sex, uh, themselves sexually, but they started with some of the inner child stuff. So I've got all of that in there. So it's sort of like a mind, body, soul experience. But definitely the intimacy um, and feeling good about the self is, is definitely a part of it. So I'm so excited you're offering that, Carol. I will need information on that, and I want to pass the word. I'm just so excited. Well, thank you. So now, now as we begin to end the show, do you have any final words that you would like for partners to know, um, especially around the sensitive subjects where there's been so much wounding in the past. Absolutely. Um, so I always say you can only reclaim your sexuality if you make it your sexuality, not the addict. So the emphasis has to be your sexuality, not the way you see it through the addict's 
transgressions or through their eyes. It's your sexuality. You need to pace yourself according to what feels right for you. Uh, Learn to express your needs in a healthy manner. So it's more about asking about what you need versus complaining about what you didn't get or throwing in the negative questions in response to positive statements Um, because that's a setup. So this is when somebody says, you know, I am so excited to be with you. I love you so much, and and I love... I love how beautiful your smile is or your eyes. Often a wounded soul, uh, trust me, I've been there. It's really tempting to say, well, then how could you go to someone else? But to to just be present in the moment and to take it in instead of um, going to that place where our brain tries to hijack us. Because let's not forget the brain has a negative bias when it comes to protecting us. Um, because, you know, it, when it comes to positive, it may enjoy it. But as soon as it's something negative, there's a possibility the brain goes, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, be alert because it's trying to protect us. So it's important to be mindful of expressing our needs and wants in a healthy way. And then it's important to learn to be in the moment. So you know, when I was saying, you know, accept admiration, um, unless it feels uncomfortable, it's perfectly okay to say, that I'm feeling uncomfortable or feeling objectified. That's fine. That's a healthy boundary. Um, Establish emotional, spiritual, intellectual, and other forms of intimacy because there are eight types of intimacy. There's the section, non-sexual. There's social, and like I said, emotional, intellectual, uh, physical, that's not sex. So this is, um, we're not talking section, we're talking holding hands, et cetera. Aesthetic, sharing love for something beautiful, and of course, there's sexual, which is not just intercourse, it's also outer course. That's everything that happens outside the body. And to know that there's three types of sex, there's sealed off sex. So this is just about sheer physical pleasure, and it's goal-oriented, it's about the orgasm. Um, and this will require more and more novelty because it can, you can habituate very easily. Then there's solace, this is all about emotions. Oh, my God, you love me, you want me, you desire me. How beautiful is that and how connected do I feel? And then there's synchrony. So synchrony brings the first two together. So you don't have to pick one or the other when you can have both. Uh, you can have one or the other from time to time. Uh, there will be moments where we are leaning more towards one or the other, uh, and that's okay. But synchrony is what brings us to that place of intimacy, the mind, body, and soul. Um, so, you know, music and dance, they can stand alone, but together they're wonderful. The wine and cheese, together they're even better. So try to aim for synchrony if you want that mind, body, and soul connection. And ultimately, always, always follow your heart with respect to what feels right for you. What felt good yesterday may not feel good today, but may start to feel good again tomorrow. Um, kind of listening to your body, not as negative chatter, but listening to your body and its needs in the present moment, but just paying attention to your heart and what feels right and being able to communicate it in a positive way. Um, don't forget, just like when we're on a date, we're worried about how we're coming across. The other party's more worried about how they're coming across. So when we're with our partner, especially after such a major trauma and we're reconnecting, everybody's worried about how they are showing up more so than they're focusing on the other party. So we need to be kind of aware of that. Uh, that don't get distracted by what is my partner thinking. They're probably worried about how they're showing up and they're trying to show up for you in a way where they can uh, connect with you. 
Absolutely. So now let's, the show is getting ready to end. If people want to get in touch with you, I know that you've got so many things going on, but what would be the easiest way for them to email you directly? So they can just go to talkwithrebecca.com or relationshipandsexuality.com. They lead you to the same place. And there is a link there, uh, uh, you know, to connect with a therapist. And if they link it, then it'll just right away, a screen will pop up and they can just write down and I will, uh, whatever they need to write down in the body of the letter. And uh, this, uh, as far as I know, it was supposed to be set up, so there's no limits there. So they can, but they can definitely reach me that way. There's also contact form um, that just, you just are contacting directly and you start the dialogue afterwards. So either way they can, um, they can reach me through the contact form or through the, uh, the the therapist form. They're both there. And there's also links to my social media where I'm always posting things. There's links to the course that I mentioned. There's lots of free videos. And if, the, if they're looking at the free video on reclaiming your sensuality and sexuality, if they uh, join the mailing list, I'll give them the full transcript. Because sometimes, you know, you're listening and you want to take notes, but you'll get a full uh, transcript sent to you if you join the mailing list. So there's lots of ways. Excellent. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. I so appreciate the work you do. This online course is amazing. I'm just going to remind my listening audience, go to – now, they have to go to your website, correct? Right, talkwithrebecca.com, and then there's, uh, you know, it says courses, and there's a link right there. And don't forget to use Carol the Coach as your – Discount code. It takes you all the way from two seventy nine to forty nine just for you all. So take that course. I'm going to be taking it with you and Rebecca. Continued success. Thank you so much for for having me on your show. I really admire the work you do and how you put yourself out there to reach people. So thank you again um, and for everything for having me on the show and for doing all the stuff that you do. Oh, thank you so much. All right, take care, and we'll talk soon. And remember, her website is www.relationshipandsexuality.com. That's where you can find her Will I Ever Be Enough online course, put in Carol the Coach, drops from $279 to $49. So make it a good one. Have a great week, and, you know, as I always say, there's only one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself.